Hello, and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Clive Dwanka and Anamik Saha, who are the editors of Black Film, British Cinema 2, which is publishing with Goldsmiths Press next month. Anamik is the Senior Lecturer in Media and Communications and co-convener for the MA in Race, Media and Social Justice at Goldsmiths University. He's also the author of Race and the Cultural Industries, which was published with Polity Press in 2018. Clive is an LSE Fellow in Film Studies within the Department of Sociology and the author of The Social Aesthetics of British Urban Film, which is forthcoming from Bloomsbury Books. Their book, Black Film British Cinema 2, explores the politics of race in British screen culture over the last 30 years considering the various institutional, textual and political shifts through a collection of essays and discussions from a variety of contributors. Hi, uh, both of you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me about your forthcoming book, Black Film, British Cinema 2. Um, The book of course, relates to the first Black Film British Cinema Conference, which was held at the ICA in 1998. Could you tell listeners a little bit about that conference and its significance? So what we had in the late 80s, 1988, uh, to be precise, was this burgeoning movement called Black Film, uh, Black British Film, that had taken great influence of what had been happening um, in America for a number of years, but was finding its own distinct voice that was distinctly British. So we were having the works of the black film uh, collectives in the 80s that spawned John O'Connor, Isaac Studian, Martin Apple, many other filmmakers as well. What we saw was a very, very novel engagement between filmmakers, black filmmakers, and black intellectuals within the academe who are finding a way to understand the practices of Black British film within the context of cultural studies, within the context of questions of identity and Britishness and the contestation within those two ideas of being Black and being British and how that's demonstrated and experienced within the medium of film. And that was the basis for coming together of some of the key thinkers of that time in 1988 at the ICA in the first Black Film British Cinema Conference, which of course was organised by uh, Cobbyn and Mercer, who had been writing for many years around Black Film, Black Arts. And it became a key moment, I say, in the actual history of Black culture. The ICA, of course, had a very, very rich tradition of being a home for intellectual thinking from um, the 60s and 70s, but particularly Black culture was congregating around this building in Piccadilly. And from what we've read in the archives, there was a tremendous amount of Black intellectual presence there. Of course, it was the place where um, the late Stuart Hall first presented his essential um, essay. Of course, it was also where Paul Gilroy presented um, 
work around Black Female Nation. We also had June Giovanni. Uh, there are a range of key thinkers there who are presenting work around this idea of Black film. So that event that day became the basis of what then became the um, first iteration of Black Film British Cinema that year. Um, do you want to come in with a few words? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just add like one other contextual detail. I mean, this was a really interesting moment. This is the late 1980s. And in Britain, this, you basically see the emergence of the kind of first generation of Black and South Asian children of immigrants, the immigrants who came here in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And so their children who were born here are coming of age in the 1980s. And they're getting access to the means of cultural production, if you like. So the really important essay that Clive just referred to, which is called New Ethnicities, he's basically talking about a shift that's occurred in the way in which Black and Asian people are being represented in media. And quite simply, that shift has occurred because Black and Asian people are now getting access to the means of cultural production, as I call it, and, and are kind of articulating new identities or indeed new ethnicities, which, you know, prior to that, I mean, I'm not necessarily suggesting we're out of this moment, but prior to that, it wasn't really, you know, to be British or to be English meant to be white. And essentially these kind of new, this new generation of filmmakers in particular, but also um, Stuart Hall references the new kind of scene of authors and playwrights and, you know, musicians as well as subsequent work. They're staking a claim for, yes, we might be black, brown or Asian, but we're also British. Um, and so this is kind of, you know, hence the, Black film, British cinema, you know, that kind of, um, that title deliberately speaks to those tensions between what it means to be British, what it means to be black. And that is not to say, again, that those contestations have been resolved. And obviously there's still a battle going on for trying to stake a black British identity or indeed a British South Asian identity and so on. But yeah, that's, I think that's kind of an important kind of um, social, the important social context against which this conference took place. Yeah. Could you uh, tell me about the conference that you organised in 2017 and how it led to this book? Sure. So the idea for the second conference came actually quite haphazardly. Um, it was happenstance. So for anyone who has ever studied black culture, black film, in those interweaving years between 1988 and the present, would have known that Black Film and British Cinema became one of the most obscure books in the field. There's a very, very limited run that was first produced by the ICA um, in 1988. And so its obscurity also heightened um, its need and its value. There were no digital copies uh, for many, many years. So unless your library had a copy somewhere, it was very, very difficult to actually access uh, the key writings there. And so myself as um, a undergrad, as a postgrad, as a PhD student, always found getting that book uh, very, very difficult. Eventually, I got a copy from um, um, other academics. So the actual basis for the idea of the conference actually came, I need to thank Anmik for this uh, personally. He had invited me to um, chair a panel at a conference in, I think it was 2016 for Les Back, I think it was the uh, Urban Multicultural Conference. So it was a fantastic conference, uh, which um, was looking back at the contribution that Les Beck had made to the kind of study of multicultural and race. And I think there was a keynote by Paul Gilroy that day as well. And for me, coming from a film studies background, 
amongst all these sociologists. I was feeling very, very left out that day. Afterwards, within the Goldsmiths um, building, um, I was speaking to um, Les Back and Paul Gilroy, obviously thanking them for their contributions, but also thinking about some of the contributions that film, film studies has also made within the paradigm. And I realised that it was very, very close to 30 years since the book that has been significant to myself and my discipline in terms of race, black and British cinema, was coming towards that anniversary. And um, I just muted the idea of potentially kind of doing something of a similar feel to what had been happening there to pay homage to that book and that moment, but also making sure that we're referring to new scholars, new ideas, and what has taken place, be it through cultural production, the shift in ideas of ethnicity and race, shift in ideas of nation within those, those years. And um, that then became the basis for a few exploratory conversations between myself and Anamik, which then eventually led to the conference the following year. If I could add something to that, I think one of the things that, I mean, Clive is absolutely right, this text became really obscure. The Stuart Hall essay from it became obviously widely cited, but the actual original text did kind of disappear into obscurity. Or at least people referenced it, but no one had really, you know, had a physical copy in their hands. What was something, what was really, and I, I want to thank Clive for actually sorting me out a copy, actually, I don't know where he, where you nicked it from, but and so yeah, it was amazing to have this like this artifact, you know, in my hands because it was something that I'd seen referenced time and time again. What was really what makes that contribution so special for me personally, and I think I think Clive agrees with this, is the kind of mix of people who featured in it, from you know obviously leading theorists, but also filmmakers themselves journalists, cultural critics, people involved in policy. And it was, yeah, and it's a really exciting collection for that. I'd imagine, I mean, God, I'd imagine the day was similarly exciting for the conversations that were, were obviously that took, that I imagine took place. And so we wanted to capture some of that spirit with this new book. So it wasn't just going to be, you know, a kind of, you know, just a list of film scholars talking about, you know, Black film, British cinema in the, in the, in the current moment. But rather we wanted to, engage and we have engaged you know people from the arts you know arts practitioners broadcasters filmmakers people who work more squarely in policy as well as a kind of interdisciplinary kind of range of academics as well this is something that me and, Cli and clive and, and my, mine and clive's work share in common really strongly is that in our work on film and media more broadly we're interested in the contextual the context to black Asian filmic practices. So it's not just about studying the text. It's not just about studying the politics of representation, as Stuart Hall famously kind of, you know, what Stuart famously called it. But thinking about, yeah, what are the kind of contexts against which these black filmic practices take place? Um, and this includes, it's got to include kind of discussions of policy, like funding, like what films get funded and why. Also needs to take into consideration kind of inequalities within film industries in particular and how they shape filmic representations of blackness, but also kind of recognising as well how so much of the practices that we're thinking of take place outside of kind of mainstream cinematic context. So including, for instance, gallery spaces. And so there's quite a few chapters that touch on the gallery space as a, as a both an enabling and constraining space upon black filmmakers. So that's so that was something that we wanted to kind of capture that that spirit that the, the kind of interdisciplinary 
kind of spirit of that original context, the way it created a space for people from very different spheres to come together and talk about these issues. And that was something that we wanted to capture. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm really proud of this book, and especially um, Clive. I, I just wanted to flag Clive, you know, very much led this project and brought together a really brilliant range of contributors that I think, yeah, that speaks to that original book, but kind of takes it to new directions as well, I think. Yeah, so the book is in dialogue with that body of work from 30 years ago. And I was wondering, now that the book's finished, you could talk about some of the shifts that have taken place in that 30-year interim period. What stands out to you as some of the kind of fundamental changes in the landscape that you were able to bring out in the book? You know, one of the big challenges was actually the title, because, you know, Black Mm. Film in the 80s means very something very different now. You know, in the 80s, we're talking about the kind of um, the ascendancy, if you like, or, or the establishment of, of political black. So black with a capital B, which in the UK context was basically a political category w- within which black, brown, Asian people could forge community and solidarity. So it didn't matter whether you were actually black or not, you were politically black in order to fight racism. Um, in its various contexts. So that was a real challenge for us to think about, well, what does black film now? Do we want to specifically talk about blackness as in kind of as originating, you know, kind of showing an Af- origins in Africa? Or do we want to widen it and, and reflect the kind of more complex heterogeneous diversities that, you know, exist that characterise the UK in particular? The other contestation was over black film, this notion of film, you know, back in the 80s, we're literally talking about film you know analog film and now film can you know obviously still includes kind of cinematic expressions of blackness but also the proliferation of kind of digital kind of film and particular the way in which digital platforms have become a really important space again not not always the most um, enabling space but nonetheless an important space for kind of black brown asian filmmakers to mount their work and so these were all different terms that made us even question whether the title black film british cinema still has relevance today but we, what we've tried to do and obviously our introductory chapter makes a real point of doing this as you kind of alluded to we want to broaden all of those terms explode them all if you like so they're the anchor they're not intended as constraining terms that kind of close off if anything we wanted to broaden and open the scope of all of those terms black film british cinema all of those terms we wanted to kind of Mm. I think um, on that as well, one of the key things that both myself and Anamit shared in terms of the ambition, despite our you know conversations regarding the title, regarding the potency of the term black, what it means now, as opposed to 1988, was also this idea of fidelity and maintaining a fidelity and a continuity and a relationship with the first iteration of the book, not just so much in the title or the content or the range of different voices um, and practitioners. Also in the central premise, what is it about the changing nature of society, of black society, the white society that is influencing and shaping the way we think around this thing called black film, British cinema. And in many ways, it relates to some of the central preoccupations of um, Stuart Hall's um, essay, This is in 88, which is thinking about what he described as the regime's representation. Of course, on one hand, there was the access to the means of production, which Armick has mentioned, but also the form of that representation, the quality, the stereotypical nature, the fetishization as he used. So all these things relate both to the idea of cultural production, 
the frame within which these identities exist and representations exist, but also how they manifest the heterogeneity of blackness in order to equality. So what I did initially was um, contact Cobina directly and ask him for permission, essentially. Would you mind us having the opportunity to produce this book again? And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to say. I thought it may have been such a sacred thing that, you know, that was 88, leave it alone. It's a different time. No need. But he was very, very supportive from the beginning. He saw the relevance of looking at what's happened in 30 years. The advent of this thing called diversity is a term, which is both a enabling term, but also a very, very problematic one. And how it's tried to shape and mold black cultural production from a range of different spheres into a very, very illogical practice. There is an ideology of diversity that is necessarily indexed to the needs of black practitioners. And these are things that were burgeoning in 88 that I continued in the book. So in many ways, again, to um, uh, quote Stuart Hall, we think about these things as an unfinished conversation that simply continues. We will carry on the conversations that are left for us to essentially pick up in 88 and um, continue them into the 2000s. There are various terms used in the books and a variety of approaches to these questions and discussions. What kind of language do you think is the most productive in conversations about how racism manifests in cultural production and distribution? These terms are always going to be contested. This is like, you know, one of the big learnings, actually, from the original text, is that these terms, black, British, film, cinema, and so on, they're all always contested. There's no right or wrong way to describe these practices. Um, I was, how many meetings have I been in where we've argued about whether, you know, inclusion is more, kind of, is a better whether diversity or equality should we be talking about, you know, diversity still. Um, and, and, and something that Clive and I have both looked at in our own work, whether together or separately, is the way in which rather than trying to come up with a better, the best, the very best term or concept to use to describe kind of anti-racist practices, if you like, in the in creative and cultural industries. I think we're more interested in seeing what diversity discourse is doing, if you like, what are its effects, how is it shaping how the issue of racial inequalities are being tackled, and you know what diversity does, which several you know many people have kind of talked about um is how it kind of hide it allows institutions to talk about kind of inequality without having to use the term racism you know and and how like you know how racism structures creative and culture industries diversity is away from kind of deflecting attention from that because those you know that question of racism would would produce much more uncomfortable conversations in a way that diversity doesn't everyone's on the diversity bandwagon if you like everyone's on the diversity train but, you know, how many people actually really want to address structural, um, structural racism within film industries in particular? Um, so, yeah, needless to say, as Clive alluded to in his previous point, we're very ambivalent about that term. Nonetheless, diversity structures the way in which these, you know, black filmic practices take place within creative culture industries. Um, and, and that's a, a key thing that runs through many of the chapters in this book. And um, actually, instantly enough, um, there was... Um, a panel dedicated to the question of um, diversity um, in the conference as well, which thought around diversity as a concept rather than the practice. So what do we mean when we say that something is diverse? 
in relation to kind of like cultural production. That always entails a relationship between institutional ideas of what this means that are sometimes disconnected, often disconnected, from the actual lived experience of um, black and brown um, cultural producers themselves. And that is, I guess, the illogical genius of diversity as a kind of dislocation from the habitual experiences of racism, of discrimination that are maintained within um, the cultural and creative industries, obviously black film being a locus of this as well, uh, which necessitated a continued conversation about these things. So again, to uh, offer a parenthesis to, um, to Armik's point, yes, we did centre questions of diversity within both the conference and the subsequent book, but we're also very, very keen to propel a textual analysis of um, black and brown cultural production, which is often lost and sometimes disregarded for conversations around inclusivity and diversity. And um, to this end, we did take a lot of inspiration from what's happening in the States, where there seems to be a cohabitation between thinking around these questions of equality and inclusion from a policy and institution level that doesn't seem to neglect the emphasis on the textual quality of these products, these artifacts as well. That was very much um, the ethos we thought of the first book, which seemed to, I'll say even privilege, what is happening within the text, whether we're looking at Hansworth songs or the work of um, other black workshop films. We are really interested in how do we think and feel and experience black film alongside the discursive frame diversity, which now exists as well. Yeah. Uh, leading on from that slightly, I wanted to ask you about the subgenre of the British urban film, British urban crime film, which is addressed in the book uh, as well as in some of your other writing, uh, Clive. What does the prominence of that subgenre tell us about the constraints or demands placed on black filmmakers in Britain? I do allude to this in what we describe as the triangulation of ownership when we think yeah. about the idea of the black film, how it was being described. And there is always a shared ownership uh, between, of course, the, the practitioner, the audience, and the critical framework within which it exists. Of course, you could also add institutional frameworks there as well. And certainly in the research I've done around the idea of the, the popular British urban film. I mean, the whole idea of urban film as a genre, as an approach, is very, very broad. There are different scales of production with the urban film because it's black film and it often exists on the periphery of the mainstream. But if we can use the example of maybe what I call the popular black British urban film um, in another book I'm working on, we find that that is a heavily layered production context with a range of different discourses all competing against each other. Of course, on the one hand, there's the idea of realism and the idea of how these films appropriate a particular reality that's recognisable to a particular demographic. But then there's also, again, Alice Stewart Hall, the fetishizing nature of that representation for other identities as well. How do we encounter this other that's being constructed from other discourses, be it through the media or be it through what we encounter every single day in terms of racist policing? And then we have justification, which is often framed around this idea of diversity. And that often becomes uh, the rationale 
for the existence and circulation of particular kinds of film. And that can, again, exist within a generic framework. So, again, to answer your question in a labor way, I'll let Armit come in as well. I think it is definitely true that in the last kind of 10 years, we've seen the continuation of a particular genre of film that has also emerged in alignment with other more industrial questions, such as the need for diverse production, the need to be showing that there is some kind of creative outlet for denigrated and discriminated uh, youthful identities in the UK. I think that the urban film is one example of the black film has become a very, very mutually beneficial form of cultural production, both for the identities themselves who are depicted in the films and often the practitioners, but also for the industry at large, who probably actually needs these representations more for different reasons than the practitioners themselves need them. Yeah, I would just I would just add that obviously, you know, kind of one of the long an ongoing debate regards commodification, right? The commodification of blackness. And what this book shows, I think, through the different kind of subjects that all of our contributors cover and explore is that there's there is you know there has i would argue there has been a proliferation in terms of different types of discourses of blackness that are being kind of produced through you know black filmic practices right and you know we see this across the board from kind of commercial the commercial end and the hollywood through to you know kind of more i don't know esoteric kind of you know gallery-based practices right so video art and so on film art that's not to say that we've, you know, we've we've reached this broadening of representation, and you know that is truly progressive because obviously different types of discourses of blackness become institutionalized and commercialized by brothers. And at the moment, in this name of diversity, within this kind of diversity paradigm that we're in, we see, kind of, I argue, two things, um, two kind of dominant tropes of blackness. One is the urban film, which, as much as and. and Clive has written about this alongside um, Sarita Malik, who was a keynote of our conference and contributes a chapter here. You know, as much as those filmic representations are a lot more nuanced than maybe people give them credit for in terms of drawing attention to the kind of, you know, structural inequalities that shape, you know, black urban life. Sometimes those films actually provide quite a nuanced picture of those. But nonetheless, if you kind of see them all when you put them all together and you see the way that they're promoted and aestheticized, it actually produces a very strong trope around blackness, which, yeah, kind of fulfills the dominant ideology, if you like. And then also, on the other hand, you get the kind of the ascendancy of like colorblind representations of blackness. And so you just need to kind of flick through Netflix and you'll see, you know, uh, hypervisibility of black, brown, Asian faces um, and bodies, but not necessarily particularly strong insights into Black, Brown, and Asian experience, right? And so, obviously, a very um, famous example of that now is Bridgerton, right? And um, and 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 the the kind of output of Shonda Rhimes, the, you know, the showrunner based in the US, who's really famous for color the colorblind casting of her shows. And so, you know, that's one of there's on the one hand we've seen a broadening in the regime of representation, as Stuart Hall would call it, but also we see particular depictions of blackness institutionalized in acquiescence with the dominant ideology. And I think black urban film is uh, an example of that. And that's certainly what I've learned from Clive's work in particular. Yeah. So I want to ask you how we get beyond those dynamics of commodification or, or a kind of lack of acknowledgement 
How, how do you think that's possible? I think um, I think Clive is uh, makes an important point about the importance of the focus on aesthetics and craft and representation. And so these are going to be these are always ongoing conversations. How can we, you know, if we understand that there's no right or wrong way to represent black people or you know any kind of people of color for that matter. You know, we, we need to, you know, I think we need to keep open a space where we can kind of address these issues and ongoing struggles over representation. One of the things I feel really passionate about, though, is how we need to augment a politics of representation, as Stuart Hall calls it, with a politics of production. So thinking about what kind of spaces within and outside of the core film industries are needed in order to facilitate and enable black filmic practices. What spaces do we need to create in order to allow black filmmakers to flourish and tell the stories that they want to tell in whatever way they want to tell them? And so that, you know, and that takes us into, I think, questions of policy. What kind of policy do we need to, for instance, facilitate independent film production, which is, you know, a really important space for black filmmakers that in terms of the amount of autonomy they receive you know that includes questions of kind of arts funding because as this book shows that gallery spaces are also an important space for black kind of visual artists and filmmakers but one that is ultimately constraining and also what spaces can we create within the core film industries that give access to black brown asian filmmakers um, and, and, and and enable them to reach the widest possible audiences there's questions there about which audiences are valued. You know, this book's very much looking at kind of filmic practices, but that can't avoid the question of audience. Who are the audience for these films? To what extent do they have access to these films? One of my, um, they were, I just saw it's like picking my favourite children, but one, one, one chapter that really did, I do have one, by the way, but one chapter that really did speak to, well, I think what I just talked about is Somaya's, um chapter, which is called, ah, I forget the name of it, but... She, so, so Mayer wrote a chapter called An Invitation to Enchantment, How Exhibition and Creation Connect Black Film and British Cinema. And in that chapter, Mayer draws attention to the issue of distribution. So like the politics of distribution, what films are given access to, are able to access kind of larger networks and others, which films, what, you know, can engage black communities that, what distribution channels rather are needed to engage black communities that are often ignored in mainstream kind of core distribution, distributive practices. So that, I think that kind of doesn't exemplify, but I think it captures, you know, the spirit of what we're trying to do and trying to draw attention to unpack the relationships between the material and the aesthetic, if you like, including important questions of cultural distribution. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to um, dare to um, offer my favourite, um, chapter from the book I'll probably lose some very very quickly so I'll let Amit be the guy who does that but um, I think one of the things that um, I've always admired about Amit's work to big up for a second is again in the spirit of kind of um, Alchemist conversations he uptook the challenge that was left by a lot of Stuart Hall's work in thinking around cultural production itself in thinking about uh, industry, the, the context of production, as well as the actual content itself. And I think that becomes a very, very important, there are say intellectual playing field even. What is it about the practices of institutions, the modes in which black culture production, be it film or TV, is produced and exists, that determine its form, that relationship between 
again, if we can call it the question of diversity or the practice or genre of diversity, and how this in turn actually impacts questions of form, of content, of audience, of distribution, of exhibition as well. And it's always very interesting when we discuss questions of, um, of black film, black cinema, people always seem to have this impression that there isn't a significant body of work out there. There is. It just doesn't get seen. It doesn't get seen because of all the structures of racism that have continued within the industry for 30 or 40 years that denies access to black films to a very, very broad audience. Now, with the book, it's very, very broad in terms of different interests. I mean, Sarita Malik, again, at the risk of kind of saying what my kind of favorite chapter is, gives us a wonderful analysis of the kind of changing nature of the idea of black film from the 70s and 80s to the present day. And we see every single moment or incremental shift in the idea of anti-racism to equality, to diversity, to cultural diversity, to greater diversity. We see a withering away and a pushing underground the idea of racism as being a significant factor in the denial of exhibition, the denial of distribution, the denial of production, the denial of the sustained body, black and brown creatives who produce content that we can enjoy. So it's very, very difficult to decouple the cultural production question from the form and content question as well, the aesthetic question. Uh, I want to change tack slightly. Uh, and ask you both about the career of Steve McQueen, who recently has released the Small Axe series of films, but of course has moved between various different models of exhibition and distribution. What does his career um, tell us about these discussions more broadly? I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Steve McQueen because obviously there's um, a section of book that deals with Steve McQueen's yeah. uh, uh, work um, particularly. He's always interested me as a filmmaker, even before um, the small acts work, because we saw someone who had come from, I guess, a gallery context and a visual art context who's made a very, very successful transition. And it seemed quite a seamless one um, into what we call mainstream work. And it seemed to have maintained um, a particular aesthetic without any real kind of compromise. Um, he seems to have been able to exist from the gallery context to, I guess, the institutional context, be it in Hollywood or more recently with the kind of BBC, while maintaining a tremendous amount of autonomy and control and power over his images. And I mean, unfortunately, um, the book was written uh, before we had a chance to watch the Small Axe films. I'm sure they would have featured quite heavily um, had we done so. But I think that's another very good example, I'll try and be concise in the answer, where we are seeing, I guess, the migration of the idea of black film being less about cinema. As Anna alluded to earlier on, these were very, very uh, filmic moments that we experienced um, last year with Small Axe that seemed to find a perfect home and habitation within public service broadcasting. Now, there's always been a very, very deep relationship between the idea of black film and public service broadcasting going back to Channel 4, the workshop declaration, black dramas, feature dramas that always um, featured on Channel 4 or the BBC. So in many ways, it's carrying out the tradition. What I found to be a quite novel thing about Small Axe, and relating slightly to maybe the kind of 80s and 90s, is I guess the quite interesting fragmentation of 
I guess, the imagined black audience in the sense that if we thought about the work that was cited in the first book in the 80s, this was very much thinking around a situated television experience. You watch particular films on Channel 4 or you watched Desmond's uh, Thursday at um, 9pm on Channel 4 and you probably wouldn't see that episode again unless there's a rerun two, three years later. And the whole family, the black family, would situate around a TV screen. What we have now, uh, because of the digital, because of technology, is a very, very fragmented audience where we simply watch small acts in a very, very fragmented way in our own time. Someone's in the kitchen, someone's in the bedroom, someone's somewhere else. But yet we're still able to draw in Black Britain in many ways, despite the now fragmented nature of technology and viewing practices. So I think there's just something very, very novel in the whole idea of small acts as a product that speaks to both the history of black British cinema and TV in terms of viewership and audience that becomes very, very worthy of analysis now. I mean, it's quite interesting because Steve McQueen, I think he had a number of options of where he might mount these films and he made a real point about saying, I want it on the BBC. This needs to be seen by everyone. Um, there was a bit of controversy around it, wasn't there, in terms of like actually the relatively low ratings that it received. I don't know if Clive's got any more insights on this. And in some ways, small is kind of think if it did get relatively low ratings, I think that might actually be a product of the diminished nature of public service broadcasting. And Clive alludes to the fragmented nature of viewership, but also we can talk about the fragmented nature of media. And so to, you know, with 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 you know young people in particular, more likely kind of visit YouTube rather than and then tune into the BBC. So mm. Again, you know, there's always kind of contextual dynamics that, that shape filmic practice, black filmic practices, but also how they're consumed and how they're received. I totally, I can, I totally relate to what Steve McQueen was saying about how this particular series of films needed to be part of the national conversation. The challenge is, is where can you, you know, I think at the time of the original publication, I think the national, you know, the BBC had monopoly on the national conversation. You know, that's that was its entire purpose. Since then, its power has diminished. So, how can you reach widest audiences in a space where you know everyone has free access or relatively free access? I mean, I think that's again it alludes to the relationship between the politics of representation and the politics of production. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about the humans. I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought it was. Um... I did hear some things on Twitter just about audience races and things but like again I found that to be a very very um, unfair conversation from the sense of this see because why does audience share become a particular concern for the black British product is that the only justification for the commissioning and existence of black film uh, it spoke to a particular part of the nation which um, also has a particular importance and value so I think what we saw in that conversation, again, I way call snippets of it, is the conflation, the idea of black cultural value as always requiring some kind of economic rationale. Well, there's a low audience, so therefore, is it worthy um, of its presence um, as a centrepiece on the BBC? Of course it is, because there are things that don't need to be discussed and rationalised in economic context, which is essentially what audience share is all about, essentially. Um, it still spoke to a nation in ways that I haven't seen a black British film or TV product speak before. And that should be of equal value, if not more value, than the kind of economic considerations around how many people watch every single week. 
guess, I guess the question for me is where is that space? How can you access the largest, the, the kind of biggest audience or the community, the national community? And when me when media's when media industries are so fragmented now, I think that's the I think that's a challenge now for any kind of filmmaker from marginalized backgrounds is where we tell these stories, not just the stories we tell, but where. That's the kind of issues I think are really urgent right now. Well, if it's okay with the both of you, I think that would be a great place to leave it. I'd just like to say thank you for coming and speaking to me uh, about the book, and uh, congratulations. It's a wonderful text, and I, I really enjoyed reading it. Uh, and I look forward to getting my hands on a print copy when it's published next month. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks. for having us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the MIT Press Podcast. And thank you again to Animic and Clive for talking about their book, which is available from next month from Goldsmiths Press. I'd also like to say thank you to Samantha Doyle, who mixes and edits the podcast and Kristen Galeno, who provides the soundtrack. And if you enjoyed this conversation, make sure you subscribe on your medium of choice.